There aren't many fighters on this earth that can lay claim to the title UFC champion. It's a pretty hard thing to do, you know, basically become the best fighter on an entire planet for your size and weight class. Kind of a 1 in 36 billion type of thing. But even above that, there's another 1% that superseded their peers, cast off the shackles of what was thought humanly possible, and basically sometimes even generationally beat up everyone else in the entire division. You know when the Greeks had the whole demigod thing? Yeah, I mean, I can kind of believe it after seeing some of this lot go on a near decade-long unbeaten title defense streak. I mean, let's face it, I would have been near your entire adult life back in ancient times. So today we're going to take a look at some of those champs who literally made you think, who the hell are they going to fight next, as they stood atop a mountain of defeated challengers, laughing maniacally at the UFC matchmaker's frustration. I'm Bailey in from MMA On Point, and this is 10 champs who truly cleared out their divisions. Number 10, Joanna Jędrzejczyk. Ioana Champion was the scariest, boogie-womanist, Tasmanian devil whirlwind of violence you'd ever seen. After two fights in the UFC where she'd put everyone on notice, displaying her just vicious striking, which let's face it, was light years ahead of the division, she got a title shot against a newly crowned cookie monster, Carla Esparza. She'd just been on the tough season with all of the new 115-pound women, so we all kind of assumed she was the best fighter on the planet, but Ioana just walked her down and basically brutalized her, and that was the first time JJ's striking got a little unsettling to watch. But if that was bad, what she did to poor Jess Penne in her first title defense was even worse. Crisp, clean, and aesthetically pleasing striking, and as violent as a fired-up Tom Hardy. Systematically, she set about eliminating the rest of the women's division, which was relatively young, but she scored longtime vet Valerie Letourneau, who had yet to lose in the UFC, had a banger of a season of the Ultimate Fighter against rival Gadalia. That trash talk got me fired up, yo. You've got enough respect. <laughs> Go. Then bam, bam, two more title defenses against legit competition, at least at the time in Kovalkiewicz, who she handed her first loss, and she'd just beaten Rose, don't forget, and Andrade. Joanna was the first woman to beat her at 115. In fact, the only person until Zhang Wei leaded it. Five defenses cleaned out all of the top five list of potential champions when the division first started, became a boogie woman in the process and helped launch women's MMA. Number 9. Israel Adesanya any champion at 185 is going to have a pretty hard legacy to follow. I mean, Anderson Silva damn near did the impossible, and if you ask me, he still doesn't really get enough recognition for it, but don't worry, I'll take care of that later. Izzy hasn't really been a champion for that long, and if he keeps fighting and winning, I could see him challenging it one day. I mean, the guy's only had the belt two years, and well, he's already basically beaten everyone. Whitaker in some parts had already done that on his way up, dusting Jacare and then withstanding Romero, but Izzy shut that down when he stole his title, definitively, and at the time, everyone already knew Bobby Knuckles was the best in the division, so now what? Well, Izzy sister systematically just eliminated anyone else that dared encroach on a title shot. Everyone still thought Romero was scary as shit, so Izzy called him out, and well, the fans weren't happy, but he shut him down completely. Then he crumpled Costa, who basically looked like an unstoppable juggernaut against everyone else, undefeated future champion material. Izzy made it look easier than solving one of those terribly shit Skyrim puzzles. Oh, that's your game plan, is it? Right, leg kick, leg kick, leg kick. How you doing? Right, leg kick, nice tour, mate. You have it. So who was left at this point? Middleweight wasn't exactly stacked, granted, but he'd already beaten Bronson and Gastelum on his way up. He his jump to 205 didn't work out, but that doesn't really affect his legacy at 185, where he rematched and soundly beat Vittori. So the question truly is, well, what now? He's literally cleared out the division. The Brunson rematch is on the table, I guess, but aside from Cannoneer, he's basically beating everyone in the top five. We do, of course, have the Whitaker rematch coming up. I haven't forgotten about that, but if he gets past him, well, then that's a different story entirely. Number eight, Amanda Nunes. 
Winning your belt at UFC 200 is pretty historic, I'm not going to lie, but you know what's better? Defending it for the next five years. And that thing had been a bit of a hot potato after Rousey let it go, but when the lioness got her claws into it, man, she treated that thing like her cub. Come too close and I will fuck your shit up. She generationally moved through the weight class, definitively ending the career of Ronda and starting a new era of women's MMA dominance. It was close, but she got the nod in the Valentina rematch. Yeah, no one has come close to beating her since. Continued knocking off contenders in Raquel Pennington and Holly Holm, and after she clattered her with her own head kick, there was a collective affirmation within the MMA community that we were looking at the best female fighter of all time. She'd just KO'd Cyborg in another weight class as well, so that helped, seeing as that was her first loss in 13 years of MMA. Still hasn't lost since then either. Either way, after she'd knocked back Jermaine, we started to have a bit of a where-do-we-go-from-here scenario. She basically had to take a break from the division and go and defend another belt. Now, to be fair, she hadn't faced Juliana Pena when she lost her title yet, so technically I guess that's not cleaning out the division, but Pena had taken five years to get to that title shot and she wasn't exactly waiting in the wings. She had losses, setbacks, and we don't know what happened at UFC 269 would have happened earlier. Still, before that happened, she definitively cleared out her entire division of contenders new and old. Number 7. Demetrius Johnson 11 title defenses? Did someone say 11 title defenses? Is that the record for the most consecutive in UFC history? Well, damn straight it is, and you better believe that, yeah, this man cleaned out his division multiple times. Now, an initial caveat to that has not always been the most stacked, but he still unquestionably fought the best guy in the weight class every time. He took out the old WEC guard in the early days of the promotional merger, fighters like Ian McCool, Chris Carriasso, even put L's on the records of fighters like Joe Benavidez, whose only losses in seven years came to Mighty Mouse. And then after that had been cleared up, he just became the ultimate example of a champion taking every challenge as it came for the best part of five years. Dodson was ripping through people before he got shut down. Bagaroutinov was the CEO of EPO but still couldn't figure out DJ. Future one-star Kyoji Horiguchi also suffered his only loss in a 21-fight unbeaten streak against Demetrius. He was not appreciated enough for this. The fans like what they like, but this was just unheard of. The UFC would sign new fighters if they won three fights they get a title shot. Like, there was no one else for him to fight. Fuck, man. He damn near shut down the division because he was so dominant. He beat Henry Cejudo during his title reign. It was only in the rematch he came back around and split decisioned him. Is this man in the Hall of Fame yet? Number 6. Vandalay Silva Oh, be wary he who dares step in the ring with the axe murderer, for you might just get what you wish for. To be gloriously annihilated in single combat in front of 37,000 screaming fans. Pride was honourable and so was Vandalay Silva, in the same way a rogue samurai might have been, deciding to give you a swift death rather than just let you fold slowly in like a launcher. But while he was middleweight champion in Pride, he basically fought everyone who wasn't in the UFC and smashed them all. Sakuraba was to Japanese MMA what Sun Tzu was to the art of war. Vandy pounded him into a swallow and pulp and took his crown and the fan base in the process. Then everyone who thought they were the dog's bollocks was basically welcome to come and take it from him. In Pride, champions didn't defend their titles every fight, so while he was champion, he still beat some of the best in the world even if they weren't actual defenses. But early on, he stopped both Tamura and Kanihara almost just unnecessarily viciously. I mean, I thought he nearly killed Kanihara in the first 10 seconds. Baz still laughed about it, though. He's got a serious chin, man. <laughs> then he KO'd Rampage in the defense, went to war with Ricardo Arona in the second fight. For five years, he held the Pride title. And yeah, like I said, seeing as it was Pride, he didn't actually defend it as many as some of the others on this list, but that didn't stop him from violently putting an end to anyone who came near him for an 11-fight unbeaten streak. I know you might have heard of the Axe Murderer, but when you're talking about clearing out a division, I mean, anyone who was at middleweight in Pride, he fought between 2007 and 2001, and he beat every challenger to his belt, most of the time, horrendously violently. Number 5. Jose Aldo Yo, Jose Aldo is a legend, mate. 
Yeah, tell me something I don't know. Do you know why he's a legend? Did you freaking go back and see what he did to the people in the WEC? Dude looked like he was from another planet. He's just that type of human that when he moves his body in certain ways, it's kind of a little special. You understand that it's not the kind of thing every MMA fighter can do. And when you KO someone with that shit, it's fucking awesome. Uh, sorry, Cub Swanson. WEC's featherweight division was run by Faber for many years. Mike Brown eventually beat him, and that was a pretty big deal. But when Aldo fought him, holy shit, it was basically Neo versus Smith before he had his whole I am the one moment. Except Mike Brown wasn't in an artificially created alternate reality. This was a real life. And if you look into it, Agent Smith was really the one anyway. So yeah, Aldo was legit, and he was just that good. And after this fight, it was nothing but championship dominance. He kept the WEC title as it folded into the UFC, lumberjacking Uriah Faber's legs in the process. And then he held on to that belt for another four years, where he cleaned up the rest of the WEC roster of challengers and a couple of UFC stars who dropped down into the newly created weight class, which Jose was undoubtedly the king of. Name a contender at 145, he beat them, at least in that generation and the WEC won before that. He was a world champion for six years with a combined nine title defenses. Things were pretty one-sided for a couple of years at featherweight, so much so it almost hurt the division. Number four, Fedor Emelianenko. Between 2001 and 2010, if you were an MMA fan, it was almost impossible not to picture Fedor Emelianenko walking in slow motion with smoke billowing behind him and the most classical dramatic you've ever heard blasting his solemn and apathetic walks to the pride ring, where he basically beat every single heavyweight on the planet. Well, the ones that fought in Japan, and at least in the early days, plenty of them did, what with the UFC being the smaller promotion at the time. He had smashed his way through rings, that got him into pride, and he was given a title shot just after two fights, and pretty much like Van Silva beat the people's champion and the actual heavyweight champion, this time Antonio Hogerio Nogueira. Much like Vandy, he didn't defend his title in every fight, but he was still champ every time he stepped into the ring. The belt just wasn't on the line. And when you think old school heavyweights, well, he mopped them up. Mark Coleman, Gary Goodridge, Fujita, Kevin Randleman, then later in his reign, Krokop, Zulazinio, Mark Hunt. The UFC champs like Arlovsky and Silvia, who were champions during his Pride reign, 2005-2006-ish, he also beat after Pride ended and he went to a but really, it's about those pride years, those good solid three years of championship dominance where he took on any and all competition. It all kind of culminated against Krokop at final conflict. The man was on a six-fight winning streak, the greatest challenge to Fedor ever, and he got past him. After that, it pretty much seemed like there was no one left for him to fight. He'd already sent them all packing and I'm sure was janitor of the year over a pride. Number three, Georges St-Pierre. GSP was a great example for many, myself included, of a champion who'd just always been there since he got into the sport. He was champ for so long, it was just a given that that's how the UFC works, and he made it look so easy. And no, I'm not just talking about his fights, but the press, media, interviews, wearing suits, he had to take time away from the sport and vacate his title. It wasn't a shock because all of a sudden this guy who had been champ wasn't going to be there anymore. No, it was because of all the mental stress he talked about being under, and the whole time it just looked like a walk in the park. Myself, I didn't know any better. There weren't that many other long-time champions to compare him to, ones that could speak English as well as him anyway, so I just assumed this was how all champions acted and performed in the octagon. But shit, that's never been the case. GSP is a 1% of UFC champions kind of guy. When he finally won the title back from Matt Serra, there was an entire roster of fighters just waiting to move up and challenge him, and he welcomed them like the traditional martial artist he is. Nine, count them nine title defenses, beginning by stopping the unstoppable John Fitch, who was on a 16-fight win streak, nailing the coffin shot on BJ Penn. Then more young challengers came through. Tiago Alves had been slaying the division's seven-fight win streak, handled by the champ. Same for Dan 
and Hardy really, then a tough season and a jab to fuck Koscheck. Then came the Strikeforce and WEC challenges, another generation of talent. He beat Shields, who was the Strikeforce and Elite XC champion. Then Condit, the killer, with only two losses in his last 12 fights, and the man who just stopped Nick Diaz's 10-fight win streak. Then he fought Nick as well, rounding out another generation of contenders. With GSP, it isn't so much, well, who's he going to fight next? There was always someone, but he just always seemed to beat them and move on. I mean, I'm not going to lie, after the Hardy win, the division looked pretty stale. Thank you, Zoo, for purchase. GSP dusted the division twice as efficiently as his latest paleontological discovery. Number two, Anderson Silva. The Spider debuted in a title eliminator, which he won in 49 seconds, and despite Rich Franklin having a perfect UFC record up to this point, damn near folded him into a paper champion in the eyes of some fans when he strolled into the octagon and walked out as the champion at UFC 64. This was way back in 2006, and then he got to handling the rest of the division. Nate Marquardt was the king of Pancrase on a seven-fight unbeaten streak, and he got cracked in the first round. KO of the night. Because Franklin had kept winning after losing to Anderson, he got a rematch. Lasted a bit longer, but still got finished. KO of the night number two. Hendo then arrived from Pride as the champion, a title he took off Mandalay Silva, who we already mentioned, submission of the night this time. Then things got a little thin. Irvin and Kote didn't exactly pose the biggest of challenges, but there wasn't anyone else for him to fight. Latest was on a five-fight win streak, but that fight was a total fucking disaster. He basically had already cleaned out the division entirely, so he jumped up to fight at 205. Maya finally got a title shot, even though he'd just been KO'd. Thankfully, the WEC generation arrived, and so did Chael, and he almost lost that fight, but he didn't. Vitor had thankfully come back from cage rage and affliction had folded, so yeah, he had someone else to fight and a front kick. KO of the night number three. But yeah, we were on the struggle bus with contenders for a while. Okami finally did enough to get a title shot, but it was clear Anderson had conquered essentially two generations of middleweight contenders, some of the 205ers, without even breaking a sweat. Except against Chael P. Sonnen, but I mean, that's hardly surprising, is it? Number one, John Jones. Okay, so I didn't want to put John Jones as number one, but we have to look at this honestly, and this dude cleaned out his weight class basically three times. And the guys he beat, well, yeah, they were all champs, legends, or generational, basically undefeated talents. Let me just hit you with some facts. First, he beat the Pride-era champions, Shogun, when he claimed the title, Rampage right after, both of whom had held MMA championships. Then he beat the new era of UFC 205ers as he lifelessly choked Machida, another UFC champion, by the way, and Rashad Evans, so make that four title fights, four UFC champions beaten so far. Also, Vitor was next, who was also, yes, technically a UFC champion, so five, actually. Wait, and then Sonnen. So, okay, six UFC champions right now. I'm kidding. But you get the idea. The Pride Wave cleared out, the established roster taken care of, incoming talent like Vitor and Chael stopped as well. Then came the next wave of light heavyweight talent. Gustafsson, 15-1. Glover Teixeira, 22-2. Unbeaten in eight years. DC, 15-0. By hook or by crook, he beat them and at this point had been champion for four years and made eight defenses. He then fucked up a lot and you know what? It could have all ended here for him but it didn't. He came back and he beat another wave of generational talent. Anthony Smith, 6-1 in his last fights, all by finish. Thiago Santos, Dominic Reyes. Okay, those two were questionable for sure, but either way, he still beat them. Nine years after he won the title, he was still beating the best guys in the division, and yeah, really fucked up 205 in the process. It was only because of the introduction of new talent ultimately that he had people to fight because he systematically eliminated all of his contemporaries who came and went from the top of the division while he remained firmly as its champion. Okay, only only firmly in the sense that he was never beaten because he lost that belt multiple times. A big shout out to Luke Taylor for editing this video. You can find him and some of his amazing artwork on Twitter at cool to me underscore. Shout out to Ben Rosette and the excellent music he provided during the intro video. His music can be found on streaming platforms everywhere. There is a link in the description and follow him at Ben Rosette on Instagram and on Twitter. 
Thank you very much for watching everyone today. Please go ahead and like and subscribe if you did enjoy the content. We upload at least three videos every week for your viewing pleasure. Go ahead and leave a comment below if you want to join in the discussion and follow us on Twitter at MMA on Point and myself at Balian underscore plays. You can now jump in and join the community discord as well if you want to continue the discussion further and I hope you've enjoyed yourselves. I'll see you in the next one. Thank you.